We will control the horizontal. We will control the vertical. Just one more thing. Hey now. Oh boy. Holy mechanical armies. Mom always liked you best. Oh, she did. <laughs> you wanted to be one word. What is the other word? One of these days. Are we having fun yet? It's going to be legend. Wait for it. Now, you might very well think that, but of course I couldn't possibly comment. Bertie Helens agreed. Oh, come on! Missed it by that much. Good evening. Hello, and welcome to the Televerse, Sound on Sight's TV podcast. This is Kate Kalsik, and I'm joined as ever by Simon Howell. Simon, how's it going? Oh, I've been worse. I'm mentally preparing for next week's pilgrimage out west. Hmm. <laughs> Which is going to involve two 55-hour bus rides. Normally, I would say that sounds exhausting, but uh, I think you should take full advantage of that to sleep. Because I don't know how you're alive, given the amount of recording you've been doing recently. It's true. This is recording the fifth in three days. Yeah, that's crazy. I applaud your efforts, sir. <laughs> well, good. Someone has to. <laughs> One of those recordings uh, in the past three days was we got a chance to talk with David Bax from Battleship Retention and previously on about Cheers. So that's going to be coming at the end of the show. So much fun. Uh, our, D- David is our second three-peat guest. Yes, that that is true. I think I think three. I think that makes you a friend of the show officially. Yeah. Yeah, if you yeah. don't mind us us saying that. Hopefully, hopefully we're not alienating our guests. It, we could say bro of the show if you'd prefer, but I really I don't wouldn't. Know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we heard from uh, plenty of you guys this week. Thank you so much for dropping us a line. We heard from Mario, who gave us sort of a rundown of what he's been. Uh, keeping up with, and uh, so you should go to the site and check that out. That was really cool. Thanks, Mario. Um, a couple of things he uh, he's digging American Horror Story. Uh, he, he liked last season a lot more than we did, and uh, you know there's some critics who are really liking this season as compared to last season. Do you have any plans to check out uh, American Horror Story this year? No. Yeah, I don't either. <laughs> I, I I scare too easy. <laughs> yeah, that's not my problem. I I still have dark memories of the pilot being one of the worst things I've ever seen. Yeah, that's so... a love it or hate it kind of show. Is the yeah, impression it really I is. Get. And I am I I I make no bones about which side I'm on there. <laughs> he also uh it's interesting right when we, when you're picking up person of interest, he's uh kind of gotten away from the show, is not a big of as big of a fan of it as uh as he used to be. And also he wanted to know if we were watching Scandal. I've been hearing good things about Scandal this season. Uh, man, uh, I th- I think he meant he'd only watched four or five episodes in the first season, like just petered out like right away. Oh, I see what you mean, personal interest. Uh, but for Scandal, I, I got to check out one of the most recent episodes just because Perd Hapley's on as a, as, a, as a news announcer or something like an anchor on the show. So he he's a he's a real life anchor, right? I I don't know, but I, I know I, he's hilarious. I feel like he is. Uh, yeah, he's well. He was definitely the highlight of possibly all comedies this week. Um, <laughs> We'll get there. We'll get there. So, yeah, if we check in on Scandal Mario, we'll let you know uh, what we're thinking. We also heard from Ken, uh, who says the reason people are digging Arrow more than Revolution is that the lead is better. And I would disagree because, and I talked with uh, somebody else about this on on Twitter. Um, The thing for me is that I don't think Charlie is the lead. I think that uh, Miles is the lead, and he's awesome. And Charlie's just kind of there. It's not not actually clear whether he was talking about Charlie or Miles. Oh, um, I just kind maybe, of assumed. Maybe he thinks that 
Arrow dude is better than Miles, which is an incorrect opinion. <laughs> I, I, you know, I could see the argument much more for the Arrow guy being more compelling than Charlie. I know a lot of people are not a fan of what Tracy Spiridakis is doing and what the characters being given. But uh, anyway, so thank you for for chiming in, Ken. It's I, I it still puzzles me a bit. So uh, we'll see. Uh, hopefully, if, you know, if, if you agree with Ken, let me know what you think. If you think there's another reason people are digging Aramora, let me know, because I'm very curious. Um, and then we also talked to some Walking Dead. Uh, Keith is giving up on Ben and Kate, because he hasn't been laughing, which is, you know, a good reason to give up. And he also doesn't like Charlie and Revolution. Kim and I talked Millennium, so thank you so much for your uh, recommendations uh, about Millennium, uh, Kim. And Amanda wanted to know the Amazing Race pool results because she hasn't had a chance to watch the episode yet, so she hasn't checked the pool. You are still smoking it, even though yes. everybody did a lot better this week, but you also did better, so we didn't catch up. Yeah, I I, I don't know how I'm, I'm doing it. Um, I guess it's just a testament to my everlasting brilliance. <laughs> we did uh, get another person joining the pool this week, though. I believe Jess is going to be jumping in here with us for this next week. If you still want to join the Amazing Race pool, there's plenty of time. Uh, the The big points all come at the end, so you definitely could join now and still be solidly in the running. Um, so let us know. Drop us a line. Uh, also, we I, I put a very last-second uh, poll out to Twitter, Rebecca or Diane and Coach or Woody for, for cheers. And I heard back from a couple people, uh, two votes for Coach and one vote each for Rebecca and Diane. So... I think that's, I thought that was pretty entertaining. Yeah, no one ever seems to agree on those. Well, I, I would think there's more consensus over Diane than than Coach V. Woody. I don't know. I don't know. Let us know what you think. And of course, like I said, there'll be more cheers talk at the end of the show. We got an iTunes rating this week, a review that is. Uh, thank you so much yeah. to... <laughs> was that, like, did an entire arena of uh, people start cheering? That, that was my David Caruso, yeah, but I, I didn't want to actually yell into the microphone. Nice. <laughs> so that was from Grand, Re uh, Grand Weepers, who, who likes that we disagree about things. So, awesome. He's going to like this well, episode. I'll, I'll keep finding your, your opinions ridiculous, and we'll have a good time. Good times. Yeah, we don't have a spotlight this week, because we couldn't, like, we each listed, if we had to pick three things to spotlight none of them overlapped so yeah which i don't think that's ever happened i so really don't think yeah. it has yeah 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 uh, we're just all over the map um this we also have at sound insight uh, an archive of all the different dvd shelves is up so you can find that by going to sound on site clicking on podcasts and, and clicking dvd shelf so if you want to listen to some of our previous guest segments uh you can find that there at the site streaming so that, you know, I know some people were, were psyched about that, so hopefully you'll check it out. And then also, it, it continues to be Horror Month. Yeah, it's 31 Days of Horror. This past weekend, I finally watched David Lynch's Inland Empire, which completely ruined my weekend. And if you want to know why, you can read the review. Um, but it's, although it is a great, great film. <laughs> uh, so yeah, this coming week, I guess I'll watch Carnival of Souls. I'm not totally sure. Um Anyway, we'll we'll get there. As as I see the, these reviews popping up, I'm incre increasingly uh, confident in my decision to not partake <laughs> in, in the uh, reviewing of horror movies for October. Uh, we'll get, we'll get you next year. By by then, you'll be a hardened vet. I don't know, uh, but let's get into our week in TV, and we're going to kick things off with uh, with Ben and Kate. It was a little bit, it was you know, it was a little lighter week in TV than it's been the past couple weeks because we don't have any pilots, and there's only one premiere, and also because we had two of the nights the programming was pretty much taken out by debates. 
So presidential debate. So on Tuesday, we just have a couple shows. Ben and Kate, 21st birthday is the first of them. What did you think of this? Uh, you know, we, we, we mentioned Ben and Kate earlier in terms of it not providing the lols necessarily. Um, and I think that's true. I think it's pushing the heartwarming angle a lot, possibly too much. Um, and it's, th this episode is definitely heavy on that, which is fine. It's, it's a good way to get people invested in characters. So I guess in, in that sense, maybe it's good for the show's long game, but it would be nice if, uh, I laughed more. Well, I think one of the things this episode does right is it gives Lucy Punch more to do. It gives her, she gets the laughs, I feel like, in this for the most part. But uh, I do agree that we need to get some more solid laughs. So it is an enjoyable show. I can see where Keith is coming from, where he just isn't laughing. And so he's going to stop watching the show. Next is 30 for 30, There's No Place Like Home, which you didn't get a chance to see this week. This is a documentary about one man's quest to bring the original rules of basketball back to their home uh, in, in Kansas. It's the, the basketball is the only sport, you know, created in the United States with a, they, where they still have the literal first sheet of paper that, that spelled out all the rules of the game, which is kind of astonishing. Um, anyways, this one really didn't work for me in just because it's that old 30 for 30 thing where I wasn't very interested in the story and therefore it's an hour and a half long, uh, movie with commercials about an hour without commercials. And it didn't really suck me in. Uh, so if, if you don't read the, the plot synopsis and go, Oh, that sounds interesting. Then this probably is not one of the ones to watch. Um, but I'm more interested in the one we have coming next week. I think it's called Benji. So we'll see what happens with that one. But well, I that, think that one actually got a th it got a theatrical release before it aired on on 30 for 30. So it kind of feels like cheating, but we'll, we'll see. Uh, <laughs> we'll also, see. you forgot to mention that James Naismith is Canadian. Yes, you're right. The the creator of basketball is uh, Canadian, making it a true American in the continental sense uh, sport. Yes. Um, let's move on though to Wednesday, which had the premiere of Subrogatory Homecoming. I didn't watch this one because I, it was on my list here, but honestly, I was busy this week and I didn't really care to. So that's not a good sign for my interest in the show. Uh, am, am, am I wrong in that assessment? Should I run out and catch up with this? Um, I thought it was pretty solid. It, uh, like Ben and Kate, it sort of was more pursuing of the, 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 the heartwarming moments, um, in, in, in particular, I mean, they're they're really dealing with uh, Tessa and her um, her newfound interest in her mother. They 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 talk about her as though she's like no longer on the planet. Uh, anyway, um, they they deal with that in a way that should be corny, but actually the the ending reveal of what exactly you know they Tessa is playing this uh, this talent show and and. Um, she ends up being inspired to do to play a to play a song on an acoustic guitar, and what that song ends up being is kind of cute. Um, but uh, I don't know; it, it wasn't bad. Not not as funny as past episodes, but not as annoying as some of them. So nice middle ground, I guess. Okay, fair enough. So I, I will uh, let's see. I'll see how I feel about it next week to see if I catch up with it or if I let my relationship with suburgatory lapse for for a while next up we have nashville i can't help it if i'm still in love with you uh, this was uh one of the of course we like the premiere a lot uh but it's one of the shows that critics were most concerned about because they they didn't send out a second episode so there was a big question mark as to whether the second episode would really have a drop in quality and that's why they hadn't sent it out what did you think of uh of the second episode well, I thought this was about on par with the pilot, to be honest. The music selections continue to be uh, mostly good and interesting. Um, 
I feel like they they've done a nice job making Juliet. Um, I mean, I mean, if anything, they've 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 gone further in the other direction, where in the pilot she just seems like a, a horrendous human being a lot of the time, and I feel like they've they're already starting to soften her edges quite a bit, which is probably a good move to be honest, because I'm not really sure how much of her we'd want to see. You know, it sort of sort of like Last Resort. I feel like it it's been on a it seems like it's going to be on a very even keel. Yeah, I think I feel like they know where they want to go with it and know what they're doing, and. Uh... Yeah, I, I mean, I don't really have that much to say about it other than I, I think it's, it was consistent and I still really like the uh, central performances. What did you think of the closing song? Because the, the closing song was the first one where I was really bothered by the incredibly by the obvious auto-tuning. Yeah. I, I, I like the song enough that I was able to forgive the auto-tune. It's particularly glaring in that one bit when Connie Britton's holding a note and it just it sounds like someone's pressing a note down on a keyboard. And then it just kind of disappears. I don't know if you noticed that. There, just, there are a couple it, places where they're going from note to note, and it's a slide. <laughs> it's like it's. I. It sounds like when you see people playing singing at the Super Bowl or something, and they're supposed to sound mechanical. That's you know that's what it sounded yeah. like to me. And so when they're supposed to be in this context of this really intimate acoustic performance, it took me right yeah. out of the scene. It made me. I couldn't enjoy the song. I couldn't enjoy the significance. For, of the moment for the characters, it was a real problem for me, and I hope that is not indicative of what's to come. Yeah, I probably is to be honest, but um, the yeah, the auto tune isn't a problem when you're hearing like Ju- one of Juliet Barnes like pop country singles, mm-hmm. but it's definitely an issue in in those scenes. Uh, although I, sh- I should mention that um, I've been inspired by Nashville to get back into country music. So what I did was I made a playlist of songs that I think T Bone Burnett should hear. <laughs> so that they can potentially use them on the show because they do use sort of contemporary selections by sort of slightly unconventional artists. So I'm going to be putting a link on my Twitter feed and possibly in the comments for this episode as well. Cool. We definitely have to check that out. Uh, next, we have 30 Rock and Stride of Pride, which I think has got to be one of the funniest episodes they've done in quite a while. And uh, it was one that was in contention for me for Spotlight. It was so wonderful to see 30 Rock address the women aren't funny thing and to do it in this way i thought it was great i really enjoyed it what did you think i thought it was weird for them to address the women aren't funny thing now um especially considering i mean it was it was a good episode don't get me wrong but i find 30 rock sense of timing very strange the guy who wrote the column that started that whole furor properly i mean i I realize it's a much older issue than that but still is not even alive anymore so uh it would have been nice for him for him to see it although People missed the point of the original column anyway, so anyway, I'm getting off track. Um, yeah, it was it was definitely a good episode. I, I wasn't bl- maybe blown away, but I, I, I noticed that Tina Fey got the writing credit, so that's probably not a coincidence. I did like the digs we got at animal practice, which I feel mm-hmm. like we're never we're never going to hear. The, I feel like it's this year's the cape of shows to make fun of, uh, even though it wasn't nearly as bad as the cape, but it wasn't good. One of the things about this episode that I like is, of course, you have your A-plot with, with Tracy. I think it was smart to take some time off from the sabotaging NBC storyline. Um, and uh, this was a good way to do it. The <laughs> the, the the subplot that parallels uh, Jack with Jenna, I think, also works here and uh, and, and is, is far more successful than some of the Jenna storylines have been to this point. 
uh, at least this season. And, and so I think that's why a lot of this worked for me. Um, and also just, just the uh, the nerd rage we get from Liz. Uh, I identify with that. <laughs> You're going to hear some of that later in this podcast. So uh, so I, I, I guess it was just a winner for me. Um, then what, what about Parks and Rec, Sex Education? This was another one that I liked more than you did. Yeah, you did. I mean, it was it was better than it's the best episode of the season so far, just because the other episodes haven't been all that great, to be honest. It was definitely funny. I mean, Perd Happily, as I mentioned, wins the week. Uh, every single that w- those were some of his best segments ever. The rest of it was very one joke, to be honest, uh, which I'm not really used to seeing Parks doing. And I know you thought that joke was really really funny. Uh, it was a little bit funny, but for 22 minutes, I was hoping for a bit more. Not see, I would disagree because. Yes, there there is for the Leslie storyline that is all one joke. Uh, it is a funny joke, but it's pretty much just one joke. Um, I liked it that we brought back Marsha and Marshall, um, but I, I also really liked the Tom storyline with with uh, with Ron. I thought that worked well. And uh, though Chris and April being up in DC hasn't been overly successful, I would say, um, just because they feel too that the, their storylines feel too disjointed. Um, I, I, I enjoyed what they get this week, uh, though I would still prefer, of course, to have them back in Pawnee. Um, so, so I think the combination of things worked for me and, and the, the storylines were balanced well enough that I didn't feel like it was just old people having sex. Yeah. Well, I guess it was actually just a series of one jokes, like the guy in, 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 uh, Ben and April's office who just stares, which was one joke and, yeah, I agree. I did like the Tom plotline, but that was more for character beats than than uh, than the laughs. laughs, really. Oh, fair enough. Tom gets so little to to little chance to develop or do anything really. Speaking of uh, character beats, as compared to laughs, that takes us to the other side of the spectrum, which is always sunny. Which I feel like always goes for the laugh rather than the character beat. I can't remember the last or maybe even first introspective character moment we had on the show. Probably, this week... probably the last time the waitress got married. I don't know. <laughs> this is the gang recycles their trash. Uh, what did you think? Uh, I'm getting worried about Always Sunny. I got to tell you, because I th- this this episode did have some fun moments, but I'm worried because they've, as far as I can remember, they've never done an outright meta we're running out of episode. Uh, uh, we're running out of ideas. Episode like this. This is like something community would pull probably by episode six because they're like that. But um, yeah, I that concerns me. I mean, I, maybe that's the that's the response they're trying to provoke because you know they're like that. But um, I don't know. They've got at least one more season to go after this. I think because they got like a multi season pickup last year, um, and uh, I. I, I feel like this is sort of like that South Park episode from last season where they're like, yeah, we're maybe running out of ideas and it's stre- and it's stressing us out and possibly depressing us, except they don't <laughs> treat it like that. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. It, it had some moments, but I'm 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 worried about you. Always sunny. The trouble with this, with this episode is that all the laughs that that it gets from you just remind you how much funnier the original episode was. The yes. scenes that they're aping. So. So what you know, there are a couple of scenes where you know because I was I watched <laughs> I caught up with the show uh, after the first like four or five seasons and I watched it all, you know, in a row and so it's some of that is a blur to me. So there were a couple couple moments where it's like oh that's hilarious and then about thirty seconds later it's like oh wait they already did that. I should just watch the first one, um, and that's that's unfortunate. So I mean I, we'll see what happens. 
I think it just doesn't, it also doesn't help that they're coming off of one of their best seasons, if not their best season for last year. Um, so the contrast, Ooh, that's a bold statement. The contrast is pretty stark. Uh, so hopefully they, they turn it around though. It's only been a few episodes this season and we, we still have a way to go. Ways to that's go. true. I, I'm disappointed that they, they, I'm, well, I'm annoyed they did a rehash episode, but the fact that they did a rehash episode and it featured no singing seems criminal to me. And also it didn't f- feature, if you're going to rehash stuff, rehash the Poil, McPoyles. Yeah, totally. Although the, I, I've, I've been seeing the McPoyles in other films lately, so maybe they're busy. Maybe they're too busy. I don't know. Um, next up is The League, which you checked in on. When, when was the last time you uh, caught up with The League? Because I know you got away from the show a little bit there. Essentially, I watched a bit of season one and it wasn't very good. Then I watched all of season two because it was great. I really think the second season was very strong. And then season three dropped off very fast. It seemed to not, it seemed to not really uh, coalesce in any major way for me. And then these first two episodes of season four have been quite strong. And it's very rare for a comedy to be this inconsistent, I feel like, especially on a season-by-season basis. And I think that has something to do with the fact that the show is semi-improvised. So if they're... If their comedy juices are flowing correctly, then everything clicks and every, everything works properly. But if it doesn't, then if the balance is even slightly off, then it doesn't really work. And that's especially tricky with The League, which is a really uh, strange combination of of heightened and grounded humor. So you never really know how radical they're going to get or how grounded they're going to remain. So, uh, which I guess is also, it's related to the uh, semi-improvised bit, but, uh, these last two episodes were really, uh, good, particularly the second one, which is, uh, called The Hoodie, and, uh, I, I feel like since I missed a big chunk of season three, I, I never actually got to meet Shiva, who, who, uh, was, na- who was the namesake of the Shiva Bowl, and, uh, that was great, she was, uh, she was a really good addition, and, um, I don't know. I I I'd be curious to 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 have you check in on this next week because I I'm, I'm wondering how you how you'd react to it, especially not having uh not having had a season and a half at least to uh to connect with the cast. Okay, I'm writing it down. The League and Person of Interest next week. Also, I think uh the uh Timothy Elephant's on the League next week, so that might help. Well, there you go. That that can't hurt. Um. So so yes, I, I will I will check in. I pr- I promise it here. I will check in and report back. Um. Next, we even have... though I'm pretty sure none of you watch it out there, <laughs> but whatever. <laughs> Can't be fewer people than Treme, and we talk about Treme. That's true. Um. Next, we have Children's Hospital: A Year in the Life. I I I like this one a lot. I liked this, and I like NTSF this week. I think they're both pretty good. What did you think? Yeah, this was great actually. I I when we were going through our spotlight rundown, I forgot about this, but this was really really good. Um. First of all. Points for amazing use of Philip Baker Hall. <laughs> Always love seeing that dude, especially in a bizarre capacity like this. Um, the, I, I mean, really, it, it was funny that it had a lot of good, hilarious bits. But really, what I was most impressed by was just how sleek the direction was, and uh, how how assured the whole thing felt. Um, it was, you know, a, a very. It was a, again very very high concept Children's Hospital, which is where what they what they're best at. But. Um, yeah, all all those quick transitions from month to month, from holiday to holiday, in rapid succession, with often with no editing, was uh, very cool. Yeah, the structure of the episode, uh, the bones of it, were, are good here, and and I think that's a big part of why it, it works as well as it does. Also, just like to, having Doctor Mengele, <laughs> uh, <laughs> yes, 
be a character is pretty pretty awesome as well so who, who's really great at his cake pops or whatever those those were oh yeah his themed cake pops uh yeah so I, you know once again high concept works well for them this is high concept it, the trend continues uh moving on to ntsf which this, i somehow uh, forgot to watch i don't know how because they're paired in my brain uh, this was uh, Family Dies, which sees uh, Paul Shear's character get put uh, in- into undercover undercover into uh, prison for killing the president of the Navy so that he can take out his dad. And it, it's... president of the Navy. Yes. Oh, yes. That, that, that's that's uh, that's his. That's the, the that's the job title. It's very he's very important. Yeah, this I think it was a lot of fun. Uh, and uh, I, the the ending promises more. Uh, or maybe a potential, uh, you know, follow up down the line. So I, I look forward to it. Uh, but yeah, you should you should catch up with this one. Let us know what you think next week, maybe. Uh, but let's move on to the Vampire Diaries and Memorial. This was another uh, spotlight contender for me. Because uh, and the reason it can be a spotlight contender is because you caught up with the show ish. Uh, so yeah, basically, yeah. I I I looked at some at some recaps and decided I I picked about seven or eight episodes, mostly finales to be honest, because Vampire Diaries is good at those and, um, and watch those and a few other key episodes. I feel like I get just about everything that's going on, uh, with the exception of why Jeremy's a medium, which, which nobody really seems to have an answer for. It just kind of happened. So, okay. Ring, blah, blah, blah. blah, blah. All right, whatever. So yeah, I thought this was good. Uh, quite good. In fact, I I didn't think of it as spotlight worthy because I feel like it was kind of the same thing as spoiler Homeland where, um, it was. It had a really great ending, and the rest of it was just solid or decent. Um, I didn't feel like there were too many, you know, huge peaks before that. Um, it was. It, it it should have been almost laughable to be honest that they've killed off so many people and had to spend six six or seven minutes just pausing to say, "Okay, can we just appreciate how many people have died?" And if if they'd done it wrong, I think it would have been really silly. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's it's a trickier thing than you'd imagine, but I, I think they pulled that off quite nicely. Yeah, I think uh, that that closing memorial that we get is not only is it uh, well, you know, well acted and delivered, but I think it's it was very smart for them to do for the writers to put that in there. Uh, this is a show that when it's at its best, churns through plot. I, th- I really think that the Vampire Diaries is the closest parallel to Homeland that we have, <laughs> particularly on network TV. Um, and, and so I think it's important for them to every now and again take a moment to to pause and have our characters reflect on their experiences, what they've had to deal with, because uh, otherwise it's just it gets too fantastical. All the the deaths, which I'm sure there will be more this season, lose their significance and and and, and their stakes. And I, I and having, I mean, Elena died and she didn't really grieve yet, and so to to have the memorial would be somewhat for her as well as for all these other people that they've lost, I think was, was good. And, uh, and ending with, uh, Alar coming back. I didn't expect Matt Davis to be back at all. Cause of course he has a new show coming at mid season. So I just assumed he wouldn't be back. So it was really nice to see him pop up, but I would disagree because I, uh, with your overall assessment, because I thought the sequence of the church was great. Fantastic tension. I think they did a really good job of establishing this new antagonist and uh, making him badass enough uh, and threatening enough while also leaving him somewhat uh, of a mystery and his motivations and such. Uh, So I I thought that all the early scenes really did a great job of building to 
the showdown at the church. Now, did you, when you say the ending was, was strong, do you mean just the memorial service afterwards or do you mean the church sequence as well? Um, I was specifically referring to the memorial and, uh, and Damon in the cemetery. The church sequence mm -hmm. was fine. I mean, for some reason, unlike other, maybe because it's so early in the season, although I, I know that shouldn't make a difference with Vampire Diaries or just a, a combination of factors didn't have me concerned really for any of the lives of our various uh, protagonists. Um, maybe, and also maybe because it was just such a public place and it would have been so ridiculous to have a character die there, but... Uh, yeah, I didn't think that, I didn't necessarily think that one of the leads was going to die in that moment, but I was concerned for Elena and that she would kill somebody and that she would be found out as a vampire, which at this point she hasn't been, though Though the uh, the, the new hunter I'm sure is suspicious. But that was the, the personal stakes of what she, you know, the fact that she's standing there starving, basically, uh, with a stake under her nose but she can't react or she will potentially be killed but you know more significantly for this show she'll be found out as a vampire which leads to all other problems all other sorts of problems that really worked for me particularly the emotional stakes of of her situation where she has been trying desperately to not eat people but she's in this situation where she basically has to and you get that sequence with her and and matt um, and I, I know I thought it was very well uh, staged and uh, yeah, put together. Yeah. It, it was de it was de definitely yeah I, I agree the staging was good. Um, can I just mention what the one thing that bothers me about the Vampire Diaries before we move on? Go for I it. I find it weird how in the world of the Vampire Diaries it's totally cool for people to make out with ghosts and werewolves to have sex with vampires, but when one girl is torn between two vampires, it's the worst thing in the universe. Can't she just have a sit down meeting with these two dudes and be like, listen, you're sharing me. This is just how it's going to be. There's too much angst. This I is think, just how it's going to happen. Yeah, maybe if they weren't brothers and there wasn't all sorts of other stuff, you know. But I, I think there's too much family drama there. Uh, and I don't think she, you know, like, I, and maybe that's coming. We'll see what happens. with. They're, they're like, with what, 150 years old? Older than that? Like, yeah. 200 years old? You'd think they could be mature enough to put this aside by now. Apparently not. Apparently, I don't. Would you really? Would you ever describe Damon as mature? Oh, well, he has his moments. <laughs> Let's move on though and talk uh, Last Resort. Voluntold. Uh, what did you think? I feel like I, I get, like I mentioned before, Last Resort is is going on a very even keel. I, I feel like it's smart for them to not go too um, to to not try. I mean, it's 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 an, it's an innately ambitious show in terms of execution. So I feel like they need to spend so much time just making clear how the show's universe works and what, you know, how the storytelling dynamics are and um, why we should be interested in each sort of um, theater of uh, combat and drama. And um, and they're still building it. I mean, there's we get the sense that there's something important on this island and we still don't know what it is. Uh, as as Sevenwell said, please don't let it be a cave of light. Please don't let it be a cave of light. Um, but uh, so, yeah, I, I have no idea what that's about. We can assume it's some natural resource. Maybe they're sitting on a pile of oil. That seems like the most natural thing. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, so, yeah, I, I feel like it's been very consistent and not too many head smacking moments. Not too many, you know, um, I, I feel like we haven't had like a really... Um, or like a real like a real stunner of a moment since one of Andre Brower's like early monologues, but you know obviously we're going to get more of those at some point. <laughs> yeah, I think um, it's been the, my relationship with uh, Last Resort is is 
not what I would have hoped uh, because I think it's been very consistent and reliable, but it hasn't wowed me in a way that I was hoping that it would, given its pedigree and given the people uh, involved, particularly the cast. I think that it's very, you know, they do a good job and it could easily get really good really quickly, but they're not there yet. Um, and so, so we'll, we'll see what happens, but I think even at this point, in in its run, I I was more engaged with uh, Chicago Code than I am with uh, with, with Last Resort. Uh, I think I, I think there's some stuff. I think they're still kind of establishing or figuring out some of the the less interesting parts of the show, and hopefully that will come into they'll start you know getting the, the things going a little bit more with uh, I don't know with the the Jesse Schramm character. I'm not interested in watching the this person who's kind of spying on her try to establish a relationship and is she going to cheat on her husband and is the husband going to cheat on her with with island girl like the french lady i really don't care about that aspect of the show and either they need to do a better job to make me care or they need to steer away from mm-hmm. it. it it's one of the first i think it's the first time we've we've seen sean ryan try to tackle like outright soapy elements mm-hmm. which I, I i'm interested to see how that pans out I'm curious, where would you put this right now with uh, the first six episodes or, or whatever we're at with uh, of Last Resort, um, Chicago Code, and then I think we'd agree, of course, The Shield had, you know, had a much stronger... That is, that, it's not fair that's, for The Shield. That's not even... Yeah. <laughs> I feel like it's about on par with The Chicago Code. Um, okay. But I also... Am, I, I feel like I don't quite like Chicago Code quite as much as you do. Maybe it's a Chicago thing. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. But I, I do feel like they're about on par. Okay, fair enough. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Uh, I do think that the manufactured drama of the the nuclear guy, a nuclear engineer, can't leave, uh, is is rather uninteresting because you'd think that they would set up, you know, so him to train uh, a volunteer to take over his position. That there, there shouldn't it shouldn't be that difficult of a situation, or at least they should say why they can't. Yeah, do it's that. only nuclear physics. The, the being in charge of the nuclear reactor at a, on a sub is less nuclear physics than you might realize, and that's from you know I in undergrad I knew somebody who did that job, uh, so you know okay fair enough <laughs> it, it's it's obviously it would require somebody who had a certain base knowledge set, but it's I don't think it's undoable or if it is they I think they should establish that it is, um and at least I I didn't feel like they did here but it felt too contrived. For me, but uh, but I, I realize that that is just that's that's a me thing more than a show thing. Let's let's move on though to person of interest. You've been you've been liking the season. What do you think about this one? Uh, well, there's no Amy Acker this week, and I think that was one of the reasons that I wasn't as keen on this episode. It went straight back into procedural land um, with a few ties in to the larger story, which is good because otherwise I would have been uh, very disappointed. This was an episode that was heavier on comic moments because they have you know Tim Caviezel protecting this uh, spoiled diplomats uh kid and that ends up with some issues um and uh lots of people underestimating fusco which is always good actually fusco got the best moments of the episode which was uh which was nice to see um very keen on them to get back to sort of more world building type stuff because the the show when it's just sort of in slightly off kilter procedural mode is fun but less interesting to me so i i I find it funny that i i said you should get in on it this week and then i didn't really like the episode so that puts well, me in an awkward position. I ran out of time, so I didn't watch it. So I will watch it next week, and hopefully it'll be it'll be a better episode uh, for me then. 
Next, we have The Thick of It, which is one of the ones that you wanted to spotlight. It's been a somewhat controversial episode for people. It was the hour-long... I, we thought it was the finale, but apparently there's one more. Yeah, that's which is interesting to me because this kind of seems tailor-made for a, not just a season, but a series finale, especially mm-hmm. with Malcolm Tucker's moments of just utter defeat, which were quite shocking. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I love this. I, I was reading about how the um, essentially how they did this episode was a- after it was after they got an idea of what they wanted each character to do. Uh, each actor was told what they could divulge and what they could absolutely not divulge, mm-hmm. and um, were given no time to rehearse and could not in in time between takes weren't allowed to confer with each other. So oh, good. They, uh, they, That's cool. They and you can see it in the performances. It it makes total sense because they do look nervous as hell, and <laughs> I, I feel like they did a they did a great job with that. Um, it wasn't. It definitely wasn't the funniest to think of it ever. Although it was very interesting to see an episode that had almost no swearing. Uh, we did get one little quick f bomb aside, um, but uh, which which is probably the main reason it wasn't as funny to be honest. But um, but I actually thought it was quite tense in places and had a lot of really nice character beats. And uh, I was really intrigued as to where it was going the entire time. Um, and and they find I, I like the little ways they found to mix it up, like like when um, when Malcolm decides to I guess uh, I guess uh, launch a personal inquiry into one of the inquirers who then has to take a break from being in the episode. I thought that was great. Um, and uh, I don't know. I I I feel like it was sort of like a a, re- a redo of uh, of the Seinfeld finale, where we're seeing these characters just be judged for the horrible things they've done. Uh, only this was much more effective. I would agree that it is far more successful than the Seinfeld finale. However, for me, that doesn't take a lot. I really did not enjoy the Seinfeld finale. I think it's probably one of the the biggest drops between a show's heights and its its finale. Um, but for this one, the trouble I have with it is that I didn't laugh at all watching it so while there are entertaining... oh come on not even at terry's testimony come on no shepherdess no, no i i wasn't i wasn't <laughs> laughing so while uh, yes there were good character moments uh it it wasn't it didn't make me laugh i guess the the strictures of the the um the, the the setting maybe are are at fault um but but i don't even necessarily know that it's that i think it's it's the execution because the recurring uh, bit with the inquiry panel member, or, or whatever you would call her, uh, should have been more entertaining than it was. But it just that whole sequence just made me want to see what was going on behind the scenes, and far more interested in that than what we are actually seeing. I think the way that they filmed it, that, since you describe it, that sounds really interesting. Um, but, uh, and, and really, I mean, you can see it's, it's effective. It does feel true to the, like, like, you know, we've all said it feels very true to the characters, but you know, it's the old, uh, it's the old comedy test. I didn't laugh. I don't know. I, I, I was much more, I mean, somebody speculated that next week we could get an episode where, where with simultaneously what was going on outside, which I don't, I don't think I'd really want to see, to be honest. Um, I was perfectly happy just speculating as to what we were getting. And sort of imagining what sort of horrible shit Malcolm was doing to try to destabilize the inquiry, which totally didn't work. Uh, so yeah, there's one episode left. I don't know if this is the final series or not. It's so hard to say with British stuff, especially. Um, but I'm very curious to see how they're going to follow that up. But I, I assume it's going to be. A, it seems like it's going to be a conventional episode, so maybe that'll please you more. I, I just I I'm simple. I just want to laugh, and it does seem to have split fans pretty mm-hmm. much down the middle. I, I think I don't think this is a different, you know, I don't think we're that far off from where most of the fan base is. Uh, no, I don't think so at all. 
Yeah. Let's move on to the Amazing Race, though. Uh, we already talked about how you're destroying us in, in the Amazing Race pool. You have, what, 36 or something like that points? The rest of us have, like, 16 if that, yeah, I think you maybe even have less. I may even have more. Who can say, really? Um, but uh, what's funny is I didn't even get a chance to watch this week's episode, um, but I still defeated you all. <laughs> yeah, this was the first leg of the race this this time around to, to have particularly um, physically challenging things, I think. I, that's been one of my problems with this, this season so far. It The, cha- the tasks have been um, too straightforward and not you know like so for particularly um there's been a, a bunch of things where the the contestants just have to sit there so the the bowl race for example they just sat in the back of a motorcycle the cooking eggs last time they just sat there while somebody else cooked eggs and the challenging thing for them was to eat two eggs with hot that sauce had, with hot sauce I, you know so i really think that they uh, need to address that but um in in general, this one was better. They had to they had to to uh, refurbish putty up and sandpaper down and everything the side of a bus, which was kicking their ass basically. And then they they went to a forge and did some blacksmithery, or they made a mattress. Um, and the the substitute teachers are gone, which is good. They were not Way particularly overdue. interesting. Yeah, uh, and but, thanks for uh, the eighteen points, boys. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. You're at 34, Dan's at 16, I'm at 12, Mandy's at, or Amanda, sorry, that is, is at 11, and Mary Jo's at 9, tied with Mario. So the thing was that, you know, you got 18 points this week. We finally started getting points, but you got 18 because you... Because you people were silly and didn't point all your points on those stupid, stupid people. So it would seem. We need to pick a little better. But um, but yeah, I, I think they're in interesting places. I just would like to see more interesting tasks and even though they're not my pick i was happy to see that the metalheads won yes yes i i have decided on my new pick i had the goat farmer people originally based on nothing and i finally have decided somebody that i actually am hoping will win uh so i've switched to the twins i would have put put abby and ryan except that the rest of y'all have abby and ryan so uh that doesn't no, help i, I have them. i have the chippendales you do have the chippendales so we how have did, a how did they fare variety. this week they they did okay. They got came in I think like fifth or or sixth or something like that, out of out of eight. Um, so I, I have a feeling this next season, this next week will be a non elimination round. But uh, but we'll see what happens and hopefully we'll start gaining on you. That's not going to happen, but it's all right. Next we have called the midwife, and we we had been anticipating a fourth episode cry fest. Um, and you watched this before I did, uh, and, and told me that you know basically we started to get that. I, I didn't have that, though. I didn't feel that this week. I was far more affected by the, the first episode, for example, than this one. Um, tell me why I'm a terrible person. Well, I think I think what gets to you seems to be childbirth scenes, because the first uh, the pilot has a lot of that. And I can see why, you know, that, that maybe does more work on you. Whereas this week, I, I think what really got to me was um, the plot of... It, although it was more like a standard hospital drama plot, I guess, but it was really nicely executed with the... Um, with the the woman who basic who it was toxemia clamps uh, clampsia, uh, eclampsia preclampsia yeah um, that plot line I thought was really uh, nicely executed especially when he just goes when he just comes home to basically an empty house or sorry when when the nurse comes home to an empty house to retrieve some of his things I thought that was a really nicely uh, played scene um, yeah the the episode was really divided into two halves and I thought the first half was a little bit more effective um, but I. Uh, 
uh, lots of great chummy material. I mean, chummy just rules. Um, I think it was Mo Ryan who called her the the Mr. Bates of Downton Abbey, which is incorrect because she's better than Mr. Bates. Absolutely. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I don't know. I thought this was another pretty solid outing. Yeah, the the difference with Mr. Bates and and Chummy is that they're not trying to make Chummy into a tragic heroine. <laughs> no, yeah. That that's she, the. They're just letting her. They're just letting her be awesome. I I love all the dating talk with her and her at the dance, and I don't mm -hmm. know. She just rules. Uh, yeah, the, the dance was fun. The the whole baby snatching thing was a little bit less interesting. It was a little bit like a like a lost subplot from Les Mis, um, but in a in a not so great way. But I, 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 I thought it was fine. I do feel like they went a little bit over the top in sort of in sort of designing the degradation of sort of where this of where the baby snatcher is hiding out. Like it's a little it was a little bit too much. Yeah, I, that didn't bother me at all, actually. But I was not a particular fan of that. I, mean, I, I guess I was fine with this with, with it. It's just that it it soon became clear that everybody was going to be fine. Yeah. And, and so so the baby's fine. The mom is fine. Kathleen ends up uh, in prison, but she did steal a baby, so you know. Uh, but but she's alive. You know, she doesn't like kill herself or anything. So. I think that's the the issue. That's why it didn't affect me as much because it felt more like they kind of chickened out of having any real harm come to anyone except for the toxemia patient. And then as soon as that character, you know, with that diagnosis came down, they knew exactly they they knew that she was going to die. So there wasn't any, you know, you had plenty of time, I guess, to adjust to what was going to happen there. I think the what they have done, what this episode does do a good job of, is is balancing the story between all the different nurses and midwives. And this so this was our first real uh, time spent with the, the the nurse who's caring for the toxemia patient. Yeah. And, and so seeing that her in you know working with the other people and also keeping Jenny more in the background, I think, was smart. And we'll see what happens this next week with the with people off to a fun weekend uh, away from uh, away from the the baby and midwifery the babies yeah. and midwifery, which so. I feel like is not going to pan out well. But um, oh, I really like I also really really like the beats we got with the nun. Mm -hmm. Just just a couple of brief little scenes, but uh, but really lovely. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, next we have the Good Wife and Don't Haze Me, Bro. I love their episodes titles. <laughs> They're always, last week Two Girls One Code. This week Don't Haze Me, Bro. Good stuff. Uh, I, guess, I guess it's the internet meme season. So it would seem. So it would seem. Uh, we still haven't had Good Wife. We had Good Wife in the spotlight once uh, so far this season, but for compared to last season, it hasn't really been in contention in a way that maybe it was last year. Uh, do you think that is a fault of this season, or do you think it's just reliable but not particularly outstanding so is it a, is has the quality gone down or is it just more consistent um i'm not sure it's i feel like uh it, it's definitely it's probably the most consistent drama on tv which uh consistency can be a real curse when you're talking about you know tastemakers and crap like that which i don't really care about uh but this week in particular i, th I thought was was uh was fine uh not earth-shattering uh, I, I did feel like there were more interesting ways they could have taken the court case. Um, the, like, for instance, when when the um, when the opposition moves to to look at it as a as a hate crime, I thought it would have been way more interesting if the kid had turned out to be gay, and then they have to prove that even though he was gay, it wasn't a hate crime. 
that mm-hmm. seems like it would have been way more difficult. But then as soon as he wasn't, I was like, and then they just kept shifting the goal lines. It was a different kind of hate crime. It seemed like their case was ridiculous on its face. So there wasn't much tension for me in the in the court aspect. Yeah, but we did get uh, none of Kalinda's husband this week, unless yes, I blocked I it did. out. That, no, no, that's, it's true. We didn't get any of it, and that was great. I, I do like what we get with Maura Tierney here. Uh, I'm hoping that will will build. And that, that moment, and just the end of that moment when Alicia screws up and mention, you know, brings up her husband when they're just out, supposed to be having fun. Um, that was, it was so awkward and painful to watch. And Yes, yes, it was. It was great. I, I don't know how I feel about the Alicia and Carrie sharing an office thing. It feels like a gag they can, can't really pull off more than one episode, but we'll see. Yeah, that does seem like it'll get old. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I keep wanting like, underscoring from how to succeed in business uh, without really trying to, to like like typewriters or something like that uh, underneath those scenes. But uh, hopefully that's going to start. Oh, and Jackie. We didn't mention Jackie. She's oh, back. we should mention Jackie. Yes, uh, she's back and she's seeing bugs. Yeah, I don't know how I felt about them having like wacky music for every time she was hallucinating. That seemed a little mm-hmm. weird. Well, it, I I do appreciate taking that approach as opposed to an uber dramatic approach, at least for yeah. now, because of where this is probably heading. But um, but yeah, it it definitely that's a, a little bit of a question mark. I'll give you that. Uh, we'll, see, yeah. we'll see what happens with her. Yeah, I guess I guess they just they decided to get tired of her being like a Machiavellian uber bitch. So that's mm-hmm. probably for the best. <laughs> yeah let's move on to treme which is up next with uh i thought i heard buddy bolden say what did you think of this episode not enough antoine come on mm-hmm. they teased us with that great with that you know adorable sequence of antoine jamming out with his kids and then we got almost none of him for the rest of the episode which was unfortunate although we did get sunny and we did get the real estate guy but we didn't get enough antoine come on guys get your priorities straight yeah especially after last week where we didn't have sunny I was, I didn't realize how little I cared about him until he wasn't in an episode, and I would be fine if they got rid of Nelson too. So to the point where I was like, "Oh man," when they showed up on screen, and I, I don't know that I give that blame to the actors necessarily, but the combination of performance and writing—it's th- those characters aren't interesting, and they're taking time away from very interesting characters. Like well, that and- one. Yeah, and I, I, I felt like at least with Sonny, at least that what they could have done was it was maybe like ha- while he's out in the town, see Annie and the family being like super, you know, super joyous, and then maybe that makes his relapse make a little more sense. Uh, but yeah. they didn't do that, and I feel like the show does a really does a really nice job sort of interweaving its characters when it feels like it, and this week it didn't feel like it there. So oh well. Mm-hmm. Um, we're gonna talk about his family let's talk about isabella rosalini as her mom amazing casting amazing Amazing. casting um yeah that was that was great and i like that there was no drama there at all like there Mm -hmm. was there was some little awkwardnesses here start to go there and then they don't and it's like whatever we all we all like each other so that's fine um Mm -hmm. uh i i loved melissa leo in the uh, in the scene where she's challenging the police captain Mm -hmm. uh that was particularly intense uh, I mean, she's one of the best actresses in TV history, so I guess we shouldn't be surprised. Um, well, and I love the the scenes we get with Sophia this week. How she's starting to really get pushed down, just made small by her 
constant persecution by the cops getting mm-hmm. pulled over for not taking or not doing for forgetting her her blinker i mean you know i i think the performance from the actress in that moment there's the wordless reaction to to that whole sequence from her was great and then the way that it plays in to the the later scene with Melissa leo i think was really good and and it's nice to find because as much as I enjoy the fact that Sophia and and the the family, even when Django was still around, uh, that they fully support you know taking on corrupt cops and like yeah we, we'll handle it whatever. I like that the reality of showing that this is a sixteen seventeen year old girl, you know having to constantly you know fear whenever she sees a a, a, a set of uh, of of flashing lights is gotta be having a toll on her. Yeah, yeah, they, they're doing a really nice job with that. Although I, I feel like they've had four or five episodes, maybe where the where the cops' behavior is pretty much the same. Except yeah. I, we do get an escalation, I guess, at the end of the episode. But um, mm-hmm. I feel like they they can probably start going somewhere new with that now. Yeah, we'll we'll see what happens next. Uh, next up is Homeland and a new car smell. Uh, this everybody was talking about this episode this week, uh, but for me, it wasn't. It's not in the spotlight because. It's a lot, a solid, fine episode with a really successful closing two minutes. And the, 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 unlike for me with Vampire Diaries, the beginning didn't feel like it was necessarily building, gradually gaining attention, gaining attention to the last minute. The, just, it felt like the last couple of minutes were just a punch in the face of awesome. Uh, what did you think? Yeah, this was like... This was like the the homeland equivalent of a mic drop, like boom, we we did it um, once again. Getting to getting to a point where if any other showrunner was writing this show, this would be a like a series finale or next to last episode. Like in in Breaking Bad terminology, this is like this is like Skyler outing Walt in season two. <laughs> like <laughs> it, this is this is getting ridiculous. Um, very very curious to see where this season is going i have some vague Mm -hmm. possibilities i guess but i really have no idea what what this like do you you have any conception of what the season finale of this season could be is there still going to be an earth (laughs) we'll see what uh we'll see what happens but i think uh i think what some people have speculated of the the cia attempting to and theoretically successfully turning brody into a double agent against uh, uh, Al-Qaeda, it, it makes a lot of sense because then you can have Claire Danes and uh, and Damian Lewis working together and damn, do those two have chemistry. So more yes. scenes with them together. I mean, I think it also helps that we don't get very many scenes with the two of them, but what, they are electric on screen together. Yeah, even just that scene where they're where they run it, where they run into each to other. To each other, air quotes. And yeah. you're like, and yeah, cut it with a knife. Um, exactly but uh even though you know even though they're both lying it's yeah they, they've they're a really good pair um and those those scenes were definitely the best of the of the earlier part of the episode and i also really like the addition of sd's like inside man mm-hmm. who's just such a douche <laughs> but he's a, a very professional a very reliable douche but still a douche well and i lo- there are several things that this episode does that i appreciate in that we we skip right over Estes acting like a dick. He immediately apologizes to Carrie. You were right. I was wrong. I'm sorry. <laughs> and they, you know, they move forward. And this is all and, you're going to get. 
They immediately call Carrie back. You know, Saul doesn't bring up Carrie. Estes like, yeah, we got to get Carrie in on this because she was right. She saw what we didn't, and she knows this stuff and this guy yeah. way better than we do. I like that they didn't spend any time drawing that out. I like that they didn't spend any time uh, drawing out, oh, Carrie and Brody getting back together. But, um, but I did like they had Estes guy being like, so... This is weird. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So there's a bunch of things that it, that I think it does right. And I and, and perhaps the biggest of that is I love that Carrie's motivation could really be either either way. Either she's right and he was on to her and it was the right move or she's clouded by her desire for for vengeance <laughs> for him destroying her life. Right, basically. yeah. Um, um, and, and either one, either reading, I think, is equally accurate. Uh, so I love that ambiguity. Yeah. And I don't really care about the Dana subplot, but I do. But I do want to say that her making fun of the vice president was awesome. Yeah, that was great. <laughs> yeah, I, I, Dana's great. I really she's one of the better uh, teenagers on TV, I think. Oh, she's right really now, improved. she's got to be the best, right? Just yeah, looking well, at our show list. I, I do like the good wife kids, but we haven't really seen them lately. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, let's move on and talk about the voice. Of course, you don't watch, but I, I have a little bit of a Thirty Rock Liz Lemon style nerd rage that I got to get out here. Um, so we had two different since the last episode. There have been two different battle episodes, and uh, my pet peeve has popped up in both of them, and that's the critique of someone being overly trained, and that and someone's training being. Uh, uh, something that is hampering them and, and really could be a problem for them. And that is bullshit. And here's why. The, the, the trouble is that the, the judges or the coaches and the contestants are not saying what they mean. For example, in the first one, this on the Tuesday episode this past week, um, Adam Levine and Mary J. Blige were talking about, you know, someone being overly trained. The problem was that she was over-articulating all of her words, and she wasn't doing any musical phrasing. So the problem wasn't that she has training. The problem was that she has poor training or was only focusing on technique and not focusing on music. Training it gives somebody control and uh, and choice in in what they're doing. So in this most recent episode, last night's episode, when Alexis was over articulating, the the way that she was able to bring that back and fix that is because she has training. Whereas the person she was singing against, Dana Rosa, was almost mumbling. I, I there there were barely words there in what he was saying. And that is equally frustrating. It's just as frustrating to over-articulate everything you say. And another thing you say that can't make any sense. So the, this notion of oh, I'm being held back by my training—that is bullshit. That what you what people are being held back by is mistakes that they are making. So the, I, I get so frustrated by that. <sighs> okay. <laughs> are you done? Sorry. Oh, it, it didn't didn't help that that when you watch that 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 battle between Alexis, who's the one who is the New Orleans singer who is, has some classical training, uh, and Daniel Rosa, when you watch it, she wiped the floor with him, at least where I was sitting, uh, and not only in her musical performance and her abilities, but also her versatility and also her stage presence. There's no comparison. She actually felt confident and seasoned, whereas he... In this one of the things that Christina said uh, about about his performance, he seemed very closed off and um, and afraid on stage. Uh, and so to have to have Alexis get sent sent home when clearly she was the better singer 
was was particularly frustrating because it, then it sends out this message to people who aren't as uh, as as knowledgeable about what tr vocal training or musical training actually means. It sends out this message that oh, getting music lessons or or, or, or learning how to control your instrument and really give it, you know give yourself the the best foot forward is is a bad thing, and that's like that just drives me crazy. I'll be done now. <laughs> All right. I said I was going to have some geek rage. I do. We're almost done with the battle rounds, and then we're moving on to the knockout rounds next week. Um, we'll see what happens. But uh, let me know what you think about that, particularly if you agree, because I haven't heard anybody else complaining about that, and it's driving me nuts. So I know how that goes. Yeah. Next, we have our final show of the week, which is the Alpha's uh, season and perhaps series finale, God's Eye. Um, what did you think of this episode, uh, but also its role as a, a season finale and potentially a series finale? You know, I, I feel bad because um, I, I like John Piper Ferguson a lot. Um, I, I feel like an eternal kinship with him and Callum Keith Rennie and uh, a couple mm. other guys for their for their parts in, in making the greatest Canadian film of all time, Hardcore Logo. Um, but um, I really don't think they made the most of Stanton Parrish this season uh I, I i feel like he ended up having a pretty standard sort of genocidal plot that just seemed very extreme for his demeanor um uh, or maybe that was only me that had that problem but uh i felt like i needed something cleverer something a little bit more fleet-footed from that character um the way they solved it just by cutting the power grid just i mean for the most part uh just seemed a little bit too easy um and i don't know i just anybody I, else thinking oh that's what happened in revolution <laughs> that hadn't occurred to me um but um yeah i don't know i just I, I just felt like most aspects of sort of the master plot just needed a little bit more tinkering to be a little bit more interesting uh i felt like they were sort of things i'd seen before which is too bad uh honestly i feel like gary got almost all the great moments on this finale because uh, it was so Rosen heavy and it was so also heavy on him having these hallucinations, which honestly I found a bit corny. Like I'd, Strathern's a great actor, but that that was never really sold for me. The, the the scenes we get with Rosen and Danny, I actually I really like a lot, and I think they worked great. I thought it was really smart to bring her back to to get into his mind a bit. Um, so so yeah, I actually absolutely disagree with you on that. I, do, I will agree that Gary is really good here, um, and while I think the writing for for Stan Parrish maybe is not great, particularly this notion that Rosen is going to be in charge afterwards when. There's no way the crazier fringe of alphas is going to let that happen. Um, is just foolish uh, and and seems short-sighted from somebody like him. Uh, that character is supposed to be. However, I I think John Piper Ferguson is really good actually in this episode. You know, and given, his his given performance in general. His performance in general has been really great, and I feel like I want to see him again. Maybe not in this capacity, but like I I feel like I need to see him do more work. Um, uh, you know, he, I think he does the the quiet menace thing very well. Uh, I just, I think it's the character that's sort of lacking. I think when it comes to Gary this week, I, I love what we get with him and his mom at the hospital. I think that's great. I think they needed to establish that the photo stim wasn't going to affect him. Because at the end when it doesn't, and he's still walking around just fine while everybody else is, you know, either dead or passed out on the on the ground, it felt 
like a contrivance and it didn't you know it didn't they because they hadn't done anything to establish it, it well I, uh, I i just think they did a poor job explaining what the photo stims do exactly like do they because mm -hmm. i was under the impression that okay are they going to amplify alpha's powers are they get the impression i got and the simplest and, and most sensible thing would be it kills humans it makes alphas more powerful or yeah, it doesn't kill it does. alphas but then it just this killed a whole killed or whatever a whole bunch of alphas and all the humans except well, and just not gary like i don't understand that's, how that could work well except that that's not necessarily what we see happening if you recall back to the um alphaville episode when other characters got photostimmed it knocked him out for a while for example um hot hands dude was passed out for a while and then when he woke up he was dropping a uh, fire from his hand so I, I think we're not supposed to think that all those characters are dead i think we're supposed to think you know i think that the notion is this was an amplified version of that so it it would if you survived it it would amplify your alpha ability but you know given like how difficult it was for rachel when when she had her ability amplified it could have a really negative effect on alphas as right. well. Although I I really can't think of a way that it won't be silly for them to rationalize Rosen being alive. No, no. The only way is if he has a latent alpha ability that hadn't that just needed some poking. And because that, that's one of the things that they uh that they imply this week is that there are people who have really minor uh, alpha abilities to the point where they haven't even noticed them or it hasn't hasn't really developed yet and that that will awaken them. Um, so we'll Rosen says that he has melodramatic ghost moments when he's been shot. Well, uh, the thing we get, the thing I got to say about this episode is how utterly trite and contrived the no, we're not going to kill him because Danny wouldn't want it that way. Um, as opposed to we're going to take out this person who just, you know, is about to slaughter, was about to slaughter like the, the entire country. You know, Almost, what they said, like 10% yeah. of alpha, of the population maybe are alphas. So 90% of the United States was about to just be killed. Yeah. So you're talking and about like, what, like 270 million people or something? Something like that. Yeah. But no, we're not going to take him out. This person who's incredibly hard to kill. We're not going to take him out when given the opportunity because Danny wouldn't want it that way. Fuck that. <laughs> yeah. That, that was really silly. when, you, Especially when you start, it, it, like, if you really start scrutinizing it, that's when you... Like, it's one of those fridge moments where you're like, wait a second. <laughs> that's yeah. that's stupid. That it's, it's just stupid. I mean, like, yes, not taking him out because of revenge is a different thing. But that doesn't change what, you know, he's done. The fact that that Rosen's able to release his, uh, let go of his rage does not change Denton Parrish. Yeah. Although, frankly, I, I think it would have been hilariously, uh, hilariously pathetic if they... If they had done it, basically, because he'd already been shot in the head, just lean over and give him a shot and then shoot him a few more times. It would have mm -hmm. just been such an ignoble way for a villain to go out. Yeah, but it would have been hilarious. It would have. And they all do a little jig. And then apparently I'll die. So, yeah, we'll see if Alphas is coming back. Yeah, we'll see what happens with it. Uh, but, yeah, it, it it has been, it's been one that I've I've been glad to keep up with. And I'm definitely, if it doesn't get picked up, I'm going to miss Gary. I'm going to miss these characters and performances. Um, and so we'll see what the next successful superhero kind of show is if this one doesn't come back. Yeah, I, I think Netflix should pick up the cape is all I have to say. Don't do that. Don't do that, Netflix. Don't put that out there in the ether. No one needs more the cape. <laughs> uh, luckily, the lead's busy on Revolution. Luckily, yes, he is. So before we go to our DVD shelf with David Bax about Cheers, we are going to... 
uh, hit a few show notes. Of course, you can find us up at soundonsite.org. There'll be a post for this where you can stream the podcast and leave us some comments. Let us know what you think. Let us know, uh, what, what should our question be? Well, why don't we just keep, uh, well, I think we should keep the cheers question floating around. Yeah. So, so, uh, Diane or Rebecca and coach or Woody, let us know what, what you think. We can have our informal televerse poll. I like it. Um, and you can reach us by email, uh, the televerse at gmail.com. And of course we're both up on Twitter. I am at the televerse. You are at sucker howl. And uh, let us know what what you're thinking of the week's TV. Happy Endings is coming back, uh, I believe, tonight, along with Don't Trust the Bee and Apartment 23 and a bunch of other stuff. Um, let us know what you're, what you're following and what we should be catching up with. Uh, also, you can you can rate us or review us in iTunes. We very much appreciate any uh, feedback we get. So it helps other people find the show. There uh, and it helps uh, hopefully get us to a, a little bit of a wider audience. There is an MP3 uh, unchaptered feed as well as an M4A chaptered feed that lets you skip through the shows you don't watch. And uh, then finally, I forgot last week, I will mention it here. Our intro and outro music is Sweet Petite by the Bicycles. They're fabulous. Anything else, Simon? Uh, nope. As I mentioned, check out my Nashville. It's really more of a wish list than a playlist uh, on my Twitter feed or possibly in the comments. I have to do a bit more tinkering first, but uh, it should be there. Cool. Good time. So we're going to take a quick break, listen to a clip and some music, and come back with David Baxter from Brattleship Pretension to talk Cheers. Knock it off, Sam. Home to my book. Still working on that novel, huh, Coach? Yeah, going on six years now. I just got a feeling I might finish it tonight. <laughs> You're writing a novel? No, reading one. <laughs> Wait a second, Coach. I want you to take Norm home. I'm up. I'm up. Right, one, uh, one quick one, then I really got to fly. Sammy. I'm going to have Coach take you home. Come on, I'll give you a lift. Man. All right, thanks. Good night, Sam. Good night. Hey, Coach, we stopped somewhere I buy you a beer, huh? Please. <laughs> you're in here every night. Doesn't your wife ever wonder where you're at? Wonders. Doesn't care. <laughs> Making your way in the world today takes everything you've got. Taking a break from all your worries sure would help a lot. Wouldn't you like to get away? Sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name. joined as ever by Simon Howell and this week at the DVD shelf uh, we are happy to welcome back David Bax from Battleship Pretension and previously on to help us talk one of probably the, the biggest just mainstream hit we've yet done at the DVD shelf, uh, Cheers. So David, welcome back to the show. Oh, thanks for having me on. I, I, um, I don't know if the mic is picking up the fact that my neighbors are having a, a loud party and there's like ranchero music streaming <laughs> through my window, but um, 
that that's just what it's like here. Uh, it's a it's a it's been a, a nonstop party since I finished watching all eleven seasons of Cheers. <laughs> now, normally, of course, we we invite people to come on and see if you know what show would they like to talk about. This time, uh, I, I saw that you had finished your epic quest to to watch the entirety of Cheers, and I okay, we got we got to get David back on just because <laughs> to, let's give a reason for this eleven season rewatch. What inspired? the decision and uh, let our, our listeners know a little bit of the experience, the pacing maybe. Well, I mean, what inspired the decision was just someone telling me, did you know all 11 seasons are, uh, you know, streaming on Netflix? And I thought, Oh, that'd be something that'd be fun to do to actually, you know, because over the years I've probably seen most of the episodes um, in, you know, in, in syndication, but those uh, it was years ago and they were all out of order. And I thought it'd be, it'd be fun to actually watch the show uh, progress. And so I just started doing like a few a night and then I would take time off and, and uh, it ended up taking me in, in total about 14 months <laughs> to watch the whole thing. <laughs> no, just, wait, wait, wait. But how long did it take to watch the first say six or seven seasons as compared to the last few? Yeah, that's uh, I, I, I'm trying to remember when I got to, uh, when I got to the midway point, because I remember being, I remember finishing the second season around Christmas. Um, yeah, I, I don't know, but definitely, it definitely it was harder to watch uh, seasons like you know seven, eight, and nine. That's uh, that's a that's a low point. Well, any uh, any show that goes eleven seasons is gonna have you know ups and downs. I think most live action shows, especially when you have primarily the same cast the whole way. 11 seasons isn't necessarily a, a good idea, but uh, I was, you know, I thought this was a great opportunity to talk Cheers. I had seen very little of Cheers. Uh, of course, you catch, it's, it's kind of hard to avoid catching an episode of Cheers here and there if you watch as much TV as we do. Um, but I hadn't really ever sat down and watched it with a critical eye. So you sent a list of episodes. I, I sent I... you a list of 15 episodes, which was ambitious because it was about 48 hours ago. <laughs> <laughs> but I, but apparently yeah. I have no life because I got to them all. and it was... You watched all 15 of those? I, I, all the ones that you sent, yes. Dude, this is how she operates. This is apparently how I roll. I don't know if that just means I need uh, more of a social life, but but it was fun. I had a, I had a good time with it. Now, obviously, I was most uh, for the most part a, a, a latecomer to Cheers. Simon, what was your relationship with the show? I didn't see any Cheers until about six or seven months ago when I came into Movie Land one day, and I believe it was either Dan Maxim or Eric Mendoza who said. Let's watch some Cheers. And we had the entirety of Cheers at work. And at first I was like, well, that's a dumb idea. It's some dumb old sitcom for dumb people. And <laughs> I don't know. It's just my stupid Neanderthal brain. And then we started watching it, and it was hilarious. And I can't speak to exactly how much Cheers I watched at work for a variety of reasons. But I, I, I would estimate I probably saw at least 30 episodes of Cheers at work. And then over the last couple of weeks, when I figured we were going to start doing this, I watched another dozen or so. So I'm not David Back's versed in Cheers, <laughs> but I'm maybe slightly more than Kate Kulzik versed in Cheers. Far more. It, it sounds like it's. Uh... Now, I have a list here of uh, just a few things, uh, a handful of things about Cheers that I think are utterly remarkable. And the fact that it's very funny is not on this list. But I was just going to kind of go through these quickly, and I'm curious what, what you guys think. First of all, it, it, it cannot be stressed enough 
how rare it is to find a comedy that has a good pilot. And not mm-hmm. only is this Cheers have a good pilot, it has one of the best comedy pilots I've ever seen. It this show survived two significant cast changes. The characters in this hangout it's like a hangout kind of comedy. They all actually have jobs that we see them doing for the most part. Uh it has an amazing theme song and credits. It actually was successful while also being good. And a significant percentage of the cast, if not a majority of the cast, are not pretty people. This show will <laughs> never get made again. Well, <laughs> and, like and, and when you say, sorry, the, the, the bit about the jobs that you didn't mention that's important is that they're not well-paying jobs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, this, is a, this is a thoroughly blue-collar sitcom. Yeah, even even um, Sam, who starts with money being a former ball player and in the bar and stuff, by the by the end of the series, they they found ways to for him to lose uh, most of his money and, and sort of be scraping by and worried about the the bar's income. First, he loses his his boat, and then he uh, um, the the bar burns down in at the beginning of season eleven and has to be rebuilt. So he he is. Uh, he, even he is strapped for cash by the end. Well, and, and you know, at the beginning, of course, one of the, the this is one of the most uh, well-known and uh, iconic couples in, in TV history with Sam and Diane. But when, when Shelley Long left the cast and I brought in Kirstie Alley as Rebecca, she came in as the boss because he didn't own the bar anymore. And yeah, so, yeah. you know, from that point on, that, I mean, and people, it's easy to forget that people often forget that Kirstie Alley was on the show longer than Shelley Long. So for over half the, sh- you know, he yeah. does get it back, but it, there's a, a, a significant change up in the power dynamic and in, you know, some of the roles uh, a couple of different times in the series. Well, and maybe this is a good time to get into it. It seems to me there's two pressing casting questions that need to be asked. And that's, <laughs> I knew this was coming, and I don't have my answers. So, David, you have to go first. So, you know, obviously you've got Coach or Woody is the first one. uh, Coach? I guess I go Woody, though I really like Coach, too. See, I have to go Woody, too, if only because I... I, I, Shamefully, I've seen way more Woody episodes than Coach episodes, which makes it totally unfair. Well, there are way more. He was on eight of the 11 seasons, and Coach was only on the first three. But the the dementia humor doesn't really do it for me. Uh, I think that uh, Nicholas uh, Colasanto, I think I'm pronouncing that right, uh, is an was an unheralded genius on that show. He had some of some of the best lines, and it also helps that um, uh, you know Woody was on more all of the seasons. I don't I didn't like as much, and Nicholas Colasanto was only on seasons that were. That were great. There's one I don't know if you guys know. It's the episode. Uh, uh, I think it's. Um, I want to say it's when uh, Coach meets Diane's mom or something, and uh, you know Sam's like uh, we call him Coach, and Coach's like you could also call me by my other nickname back in you know back when I was in uh, playing baseball red, and she goes, "Did your hair used to be red?" And he goes, "No, I read a book." <laughs> <laughs> It's maybe my favorite line, <laughs> like my favorite joke in the entire 11 seasons. Well, and the thing you get with, with Coach that I really appreciate, and maybe I just didn't see enough episodes, but I didn't get the sense from the other characters at all, is that he has uh, a long relationship and history with Sam. 
you know, mm-hmm. with, you know, having had those, those years where, you know, he was, he was Sam's coach. Uh, and, and so with these, I mean, you, obviously there's a strong relationship between Sam and Carla. Uh, you know, they're very, you know, very close friends. You get the impression that Carla doesn't necessarily have a lot of friends, a lot of family. I get the impression a lot of family, but not necessarily yeah, a lot yeah. of, of friends. Um, but, but you don't, from any, none of these other characters, do you really get that, that kind of personal history as between Sam and coach. But what you get with Woody that I really enjoy is, he's basically a child (laughs) Uh and so not only does putting him next to sam particularly in his relationship with with kelly his his eventual wife uh not only does it uh add an interesting dynamic to the show to have this kind of innocence at you know at a bar but also it it makes sam kind of skeezy uh and i really enjoy that that they go there with their character Mm -hmm. well and i when you when you mention that dimension i th- i think th- the thing that really stood out to me about sort of watching the i mean sort of b- beyond the initial rush of episodes that i saw especially watching the ones that i did over the, la- the last week or so what's interesting to me about cheers above all above all else is that it's not afraid to be sad a lot a lot i mean which is which is perfect when it's you know this is a show set in a bar you know it's this is a show about people who hang out in a place where you sit and you drink and you talk. And so much of the show is just people talking. And I, I feel like that's something we've lost in a way in uh, in sort of more contemporary sitcoms. We don't have so much of characters just sitting around on a set discussing their lives and their problems. And I, I was watching the um, the finale in particular and so much of that is just it's so stark yeah i mean uh that that came back in the finale but that's actually something i think they they lost um post um post diane um ooh i find rebecca an utterly pathetic character incredibly yeah, sad yeah I, I i just mean that that but that tone i think of okay. of, of allowing the show to sit in a in a sad moment you know and not make it mawkish you know the way that a lot of sitcoms will do that now, but in a way, ways that feel very theatrical and, and manipulative. Mm-hmm. And there's some big music cue, you know, this, this show in its early, early seasons would, uh, felt more real in its, in its sadness. Yeah. And I, and I, I, I hate to jump straight to it, but they make some really brave choices in that finale. Uh, I think. Oh, yeah. Uh, so what do you, I mean, I agree, but what are you referring to? Well, I just I just mean in general the the closing scenes of the series are so the the way it just brings us to to the essence of the show, which is uh, which is Sam in the bar, pondering yeah. what he's done with his life, and it's yeah. not so much it's it's no longer a will they won't they it's no longer a, a madcap affair it's just a, a man in his bar. Well, and it defines yeah. the show as you know for a show that for in the consciousness of so many people, uh, particularly after the fact, particularly now, its legacy tends to be for many people Sam and Diane. It starkly defines the show as not about will they, won't they, uh, but as about you know uh, just a, a man, a, a a guy, and even just there's a, it's like you said, uh, David and and Simon, both you said actually earlier, it's. The note that it ends on, it reminds me very much, actually, of the final line in Firefly. Well, uh-huh. here I am. Yeah. And uh, and so not, while I, I absolutely love 
the speech that we get from Norm in the finale. And I love that that's, that's the note that, you know, that he gets it and that yeah. he, the delivery is fabulous. Um, yeah. But that it ends and, with... And by the way, right before that, uh, you know, even in a sad scene like that, um, allowing Woody, like, a great Cheers joke when he he <laughs> says what he thinks the meaning of life is, and Sam's like, oh, you're really giving me a lot to think about. I'm sorry, Sam, I hate it when someone does that to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's perfectly... It's a show that, that I mean, I, I, and again, I'm sure over the course of the 11 seasons, maybe they didn't always stick true to this, but in what I saw, it knows its characters in the, from the first moment that we meet them in the pilot all the way through. Yeah. Yeah. That's, and I, that's true. I, and I think, you know, there were episodes that I watched where there was stuff that shouldn't have been funny. Like there was stuff where if you read it on a, on a, in a teleplay, it would read like a clunker, but that's what great screen chemistry will do. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, there's, there, especially just some really broad gags that if, if any sitcom, if any other sitcom cast tried it on, you would just it would be a head smacking moment, but they can pull it off because they're such a charming ensemble. Yeah, um, uh, but uh, I mean, uh, I I guess uh, you know you guys are in a position of either you know not having seen it in a, a little while you know or like not having just finished it or having just finished the episodes that I recommended <laughs> and uh, skipped all the I'm bar wars. Like, uh, I, I'm still like cl close enough to those latter seasons. To to definitely remember some of the clunkers uh, in the I mean the beginning of season six has Sam no longer the owner of the bar getting a job as a, a sports uh, like anchor on a local news and uh, rapping the sports news. Oh God! Uh, <laughs> it's, it's horrifyingly embarrassing. Uh, they they definitely wait a minute. Did Cheers accidentally invent cringe humor? <laughs> Maybe, yeah. Um, but that gets me to something that I really want to talk about, which is that uh, the the show is so, uh, as much as it is not defined only by Sam and Diane, um, defined it, or, or or divided in the Diane and post Diane era for me, it, it's a it's a very different show. I think I wish I could remember who, but someone I was complaining on Twitter, and someone. Uh, tweeted back at me, uh, said that the first five seasons are live action cheers and six through 11 are cartoon cheers. Uh, <laughs> and that's not entirely fair, but it does go uh, in in that direction a little bit. And I think part of it is, you know, um, I, after finishing it, I, I read about the show um, uh, and uh, Shelly Long, um, I always want to say Shelly Winters, uh, Shelly Long, um, had a reputation for being sort of like sticking a nose into the writer's room and being very insistent and very particular about her character. And like, it may, it may be rubbed people the wrong way, but I do think that as great as the writing room was, uh, obviously I think that Shelley Long maybe deserves some credit for keeping the show, um, on, on track and keeping it about character because she was, she was just insistent upon that, and I, I think that's a big part of the reason the show uh, feels more human and grounded in 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 her in her seasons than after. Well, it, it's tricky because again, not having seen the entirety of Cheers like you have, you insane, insane man, um, <laughs> I have a difficult time. Just imagine that uh, that Shelley Long had stayed on for all eleven seasons. 
Assuming there no. were still eleven seasons. Just no, thank just, you. <laughs> just just like what else could they have done? No, that's a good point. That's a good with, point. With 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 Sam and Diane, like how many more times can they get them together and break them up? It's going to turn into How I Met Your Mother. So in a way, it's even though I mean I I don't think anyone let, let's be brutally honest does anyone prefer Kirstie Alley to Shelley Long? A lot of people do actually. And see, I think I think Kirstie Alley is great. I just don't like Rebecca. <laughs> that's right. the main thing. Well, but, and that's uh, actually one of the things I like about Rebecca. I like that she isn't as likable. I feel like it's, I feel, you know, it's that thing about women in comedy that comes up a lot of the time. Often people write the roles that they're writing for the, the female leads. They have, they even they go too far and the character is utterly unlikable and you get something that's sort of like the, the issues that come up in everybody loves Raymond with Deborah or they aren't allowed to be as, as funny or as silly or as, or as gross or as anything as as fallible as the men, and I that's one of the things I like about Rebecca. She fits in at the bar in a way that that uh, Diane really doesn't. Yeah, because because Rebecca's a loser. Like... Well, most of them are losers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, Norman Cliff are quintessential uh, lo- losers, um, and Paul. Uh, I don't know how many Paul episodes you saw, Kate, but uh, he was never a regular, but became. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite uh, uh, bar denizens by the end, but but I still contend if you watch the last two episodes of season five and the and the first two episodes of season six, it's a it's a big there's a big cliff there. It's a big a tonal uh, shift, <laughs> a definite uh, yeah, tonal shift. Yeah, yeah, and, and I, I mean I, to some extent I uh, credit the you know the 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 producers with um, not trying to hang on to the show and, and, you know, not trying to just replace Diane with another Diane type. Uh, but, you know, uh, they, not only did they bring in, uh, you know, Rebecca, who couldn't be more, more different from Diane, um, they, they changed the whole dynamic of the bar and that Sam is no longer the owner. Sam doesn't even work there at, at you know, at the time it, the, the bar looks different. All of Sam's stuff is down the 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 office uh doesn't have the swordfish with the football helmet on it it's you know done in new wallpaper and 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 uh woody and carla and the other bartender they hired are wearing uniforms uh and they stuck with the uniforms for a few episodes um and stuck with the non-sam look of the bar for like two seasons uh and so i do i do give them credit for committing to doing the show differently and not just trying to, I, I think it would have flamed out faster. Maybe. I, I, I think you mentioned the season five finale and that was one that I made sure to catch. It's my favorite episode. It It's a stunning episode. Uh, I mean, there's stuff, stuff that should just be silly, like Sam and Diane sitting around in old age makeup and cracking jokes with the, with their other members of the cast who are also in old age makeup yeah who only show up because they thought being in old age makeup was funny um <laughs> really uh if you look at it but but then it, it manages to pull the rug out from under you and, and again some really incredible closing moments yeah oh man that's definitely in you know 11 seasons that's probably the only episode that actually like brought tears to my eyes well the uh yeah, I, like I said, I watched 10 episodes that were, you know, several of, like, there was a three-parter and a two-parter, but, uh, but I, I, there were only a few moments like this, but the, 
one of the moments that I will absolutely take away from the show, give in the sampling that I saw was, you know, when they do serious, when they do, you know, honest to God serious, they do it so well. And the moment that pops to mind is that early um, episode. I want to say season, season one, season three, something like that, where um, where it looks like Sam. Might it's got to be season one actually? Where, where he's he ends the episode like staring at a beer. Oh and, yeah, yeah. And that Danson Ted Danson plays that scene so perfectly in Shelley Long as well. It's just I, I the show could have gone either. I absolutely believed in in that moment, and and I think the the sequence at the end of the season five finale is another one that's just so so touching and real. It's like you you want that that's like the, the Cosby ending. Basically, only only you know a little more bitter bittersweet, and so mm-hmm. I when they when they go for the emotion, and and the the more serious you know elements of these characters, let's be honest, frankly pathetic and kind of uh, terrible lives, uh, they they go for them in a, in a way that's impressive. Yeah, I, I I feel like how could you have a character like Norm? On a contemporary sitcom, even the thing you were talking about earlier about them being, you know, uh, not not pretty people. I also just when I watch Cheers, I think these all like everyone in this cast is fifteen years too old to have been cast in the pilot. Now, mm-hmm. yeah, you would you don't have you you don't really have uh, sitcoms any, anymore that uh, unless they're anchored by uh, you know an established star, you, you don't just have a, a cast full of people in their late 30s and early 40s the only way that happens is when they cast them to be 21 and they're 25 and the show sticks around for 10 years (laughs) right yeah 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 um and but yeah norm has um one of those sad moments uh, in in a later season that i that really stuck with me there's a plot line in an episode where um he's being audited and the irs auditor is is a woman who offers you, you know basically offers to get him, you know, off scot-free if he'll sleep with her. And uh, he, um, att- he like, actually decides he's going to go through with it, and then he has this speech at the end, and he can't do it. He has this speech about how how bad a husband he is, and in his mind, the only thing he won't do is cheat on his wife because that, that's, to, to him, the line between being a bad husband and a bad person. And it's like, it's a speech that you're like, you're like, good for you but you're right you are also a very bad husband it's like so recognizing of the flaws of the character it's uh it's a it's a not a great episode it goes a little broad but um it's a great ending yeah well and to have a speech like that and then and but you're gonna come in tomorrow night and spend the entire evening at the bar and neglect your family (laughs) yeah which is exactly (laughs) which is more or less exactly the note that he also gets in the finale yeah with with maybe a little bit more redemptive but you don't really buy it yeah i I buy i buy the final uh the final speech he gives to nor to 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 sam in the finale i buy it 100 percent. i just don't know for him that 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 thing that he loves is necessarily his his wife or his family yes yeah 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 (laughs) Uh, we haven't even talked about we haven't even talked about Kelsey Grammer, you know. Yeah, I want to mention one more uh, Diane uh, or Norm joke. Diane says it's early. I think it's in season one. Diane says, "Doesn't your wife uh, get upset that you spend so little time with her?" And Norm's like, "Would you?" <laughs> <laughs> Wait, which, which is which is really a variant of a line from the pilot where uh, I I, th- I think she asks, uh, "Does does she wonder where you are?" And she says, "Sure, he just she just doesn't care." 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, let's, Kelsey let's Grammer? talk Kelsey. Yeah, exactly. I mean, this is, he played the character of Fraser Course. This has got to be the most successful, Fraser has to be the most successful spinoff ever. Well, and uh, thus making him the most successful TV character of all time, maybe. Yeah. Well, I mean, especially if you want to start counting Emmys, but we know how they go. <laughs> once you win once. Um, but yeah. uh, but that's... So, yeah, the... he played that character for, I guess, like... 20-something years? seasons? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. Absolutely crazy. And, you know, I, first of all, watching this, he looks so... He's such a baby. He's so young. <laughs> it's like you just want to pinch and, his and cheeks. <laughs> and yet he's still too old. Well, it's, that's what makes the character so 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 much fun, I think. And, in those early, his early episodes, he's so thin, like so mm-hmm. much thinner than, yeah. than you. But he, you can you can kind of tell with Kelsey Kelsey Grammer. Uh, I think once he realized he had a good job, he uh, let himself go because he he plumps up pretty quickly. He's got quite a a gut. He was also uh, drinking like a madman during the. Uh, yeah, that'll help. Uh, d- d- yeah, during he was hor- horrid uh, drunk during the time that he I, was on I, Cheers. I have to say, my favorite, um, my favorite Frasier centric episode that i saw is actually from season six it's called the crane mutiny mm-hmm. and that's that's the one where he uh he has to confess to an affair with rebecca that he didn't have mm-hmm. uh, i don't know if you remember that one david but uh i i, I thought that was from what i remember of fraser which is very little that kind of felt to me like a blueprint for future fraser episodes there were a couple that that i, I watched uh particularly the one where there's a dinner party and everybody ends up, except for Sam because he's far too level-headed, ends up locked in the uh, bathroom at one point or another. Uh, that I, well, it was a really fun episode, but what gave me even more enjoyment was watching that and remembering episodes of Frasier that came later that were clearly directly paralleling this episode of Cheers that I had never seen. <laughs> So I find, and I think they did, and of course, we're, there's already plans to do a, a Fraser DVD shelf uh, down the line. But uh, ha- having this uh, this character be so similar, so immediately, you know, constructed, but then also, in certain ways, just tweaked just the right amount between Cheers and Fraser uh, shows a lot about why most spinoffs don't work. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I was talking about with Kirstie Alley liking her, even when I don't like Rebecca, uh, even at the, at the, when the show was at its lowest to me, um, Fraser was still reliable because I, I felt like Kelsey Grammer just sold things with so much gusto. There's a, there's a scene where uh, Fraser and Robin Colcord um, are kind of like squaring off uh, by quoting Shakespeare to one another. <laughs> of course. And, uh, and like, uh, for it's for like this five minute stretch, it stops being a sitcom and it's just like these two great actors doing Shakespeare to to one another. And it's <laughs> awesome. It's amazing. Uh, I love. Uh, I can't remember the name of the guy who plays Robin Colcord. I w- always liked him. Um, he was on he was on the West Wing from time to time, and he was in one memorable episode of My So Called Life. I want to say Roger Rees. That's it. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, he's fabulous. And uh, love him. It, the the last person I want to single out for praise isn't. Uh, technically part of the main cast, I guess, although she's somewhere in between, is uh, Baby Newworth. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Who, of course, plays well, she was a regular for the last two or three seasons. She's in the credits. Okay. She's she's awesome. Yeah. Well, and she does so much with a character that... That seems so limited. Yeah, that should get old really quickly. 
and I mean, I clearly she she came, of course, she has a long history on on the stage and Broadway, uh, and she just she brings so much character to such a deadpan and not funny <laughs> really person, yeah. <laughs> and especially the pairing, the one two of uh, of Kelsey Grammer and BB Newworth together works yeah. great. Yeah, and they found occasionally found excuses for Bibi Newworth to sing on the show. There are not nearly enough in my not opinion. nearly <laughs> enough. But um, uh, yeah, I like that she's this sort of you know uh, dead fish look like type. Uh, but you find out things about her, such as the fact the the uh, repeated references to her and Fraser having uh, is our sex life, vibrant sex life. Um, but then also that she has. Like Bibi Newworth, she has this sort of uh, desire to perform in her blood. I don't, I don't know. I, I know you watched an old fashioned wedding, parts one and two, right, Kate? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know <laughs> if you remember, remember that episode, Simon. But uh, uh, in order to keep the the wedding guests company, she's essentially just like putting on like a vaudeville act, and we don't actually see it because the entire episode takes place in the kitchen. But you see her sort of coming in and like. Uh, doesn't even seem like like Lilith a, at all, and, and asking for things to juggle and uh, uh, yeah, I, I guess that's the that's the upside of a character sticking around uh, uh, in a season in a, in a series long enough is you, they get to uh, explore things about her and, and flesh her out. Does anybody else see Frasier and Lilith as not that far of a stretch from the Will Ferrell Rachel Dredge lava sketch? <laughs> because <laughs> i feel like give them a yeah. couple of bottles of wine and that that's where they're at <laughs> yeah yeah that's that's true now uh we we do actually have to have to wrap up we're getting to the end of our time um before we go to favorite episodes or any of that uh i and of course i shouldn't be asking this i shouldn't have brought it up because i don't really have an answer yet um but favorite character if you you can only pick one. Oh, uh it's it's diane uh -huh. I think uh, that she's just a, a very well-written, and, and it's not often in TV or movies at all that you s get to see someone who is a pompous pseudo-intellectual and also a sympathetic character. That's a that's like a a, a stock sort of um, type, uh, comedic type that who's supposed to be sort of there to be derided, and she and she is. I, I like whenever she whenever holes are punctured in her uh, pseudo intellectualism, but um, for for her to be as as real as as she is um, at the same time is uh, I can't think of another character like Diane. Simon, I have to go with Norm uh, because for the same reason I, I can't think of an analog to Norm on another show, certainly on another sitcom, someone who's allowed to be pathetic while also being sympathetic and while also being uh, funny and is allowed to stay more or less in that space from what I can tell for a huge swath of time and, uh, and who you somehow don't get sick of. I think that's, that's an incredibly rare uh, commodity. You could you could maybe say George on Seinfeld, but but George is much more he's much more openly contemptible. Yeah, yeah. Norm is he knows who he is and he's pretty much good with it. And you know he's he's very except for when he isn't. Himself. Well, 
for convenience sake, but in general, the character that we see is just, yep, this is me. And we don't really get that on, on shows, particularly if someone is older, particularly if somebody is overweight or has any significant flaws. Yeah. So, so, yeah. Uh, so uh, do you have a non-answer for us? Yes, I do. I have a cheat. I, I have a couple cheats. I'm going to give runner-up goes to the, the buddy cop duo of Norman Cliff. I think Cliff doesn't get enough uh, props in general, but I, I very much enjoy not only the John Ratzenberger and the performance, but uh, I, I like what you know he allows. I, th- I feel like he's the 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 lower class equivalent to Diane because of course he's always spouting off some fact that's probably not true, and uh, is very confident uh, that he's you know that he's got it all figured out. Uh, so I, I think Norm and, and Cliff really, there's a reason that they, that they moved Cliff from, he starts at the other side of the bar and he, very quickly he sits next to Norm. Well, all and, the and, time. and the way they as a duo play off of other characters is always great to watch. Absolutely. Um, and then I, I I'm going to give it uh, to Carla. I oh, love Carla. Yeah. She's fabulous. She's, I think perhaps, I don't know. It's a, it's a cast full of reliable people, but I, I love that they never, they never uh, shy away from her hatred of Diane. <laughs> and ever. <laughs> ever. <laughs> it's great. I, and- I love her just, just like bawling with agony in the season five <laughs> finale. Not, not because she thinks it's beautiful. Well, and even just the um, the transition of Fraser from how he starts out to in the finale, he's right there with her. <laughs> it's great. Um, but yeah. no, I think that Rhea Perlman's great in this and uh, doesn't necessarily get enough props. So yeah, I'll, I'll give it to Carla. Um, so final thoughts, guys? I someday hope to actually traverse the same journey that David has undertaken. Someday. When I have the time and the money, but I don't have either of those yet. But I, I would like to, including the the bum seasons, including all twenty seven bar wars. <laughs> yeah, if we, I don't know if we're doing favorite least favorite episode, I, I already I, I already said that the season five finale, uh, I do adieu, um, is my favorite episode. My least favorite episode, I can't remember. Uh, I can't remember which bar wars it is, but it's the one where. Uh, uh, spoilers, Gary fakes his death. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's, God. Uh, uh, that's my least favorite. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, oh, run, runner-up for favorite episode, uh, the an old-fashioned wedding two, two-parter. Even though it's in the midst, you know, it's in the non-Diane years, it's, uh, it's an amazing episode. Well, and it's a perfect encapsulation of what we were talking Those two episodes, you know, when you watch them back-to-back, they're both fabulous, but you can see such a different tone like we were saying the 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 wedding episode is uh well i guess they're both wedding episodes but uh woody's wedding is that's straight up farce and mm-hmm. we would see a lot more of that uh on fraser uh as well and, and so I, I i'm a fan of farce uh but so i you know all the move the dead body and that's always i'm yeah. always gonna enjoy that um but yeah in, in the the diane finale uh is just as good but in a in a very different way um but if I, I guess if I had, if I had to give it to one episode, just because we watched so many fucking terrible pilots on this podcast, <laughs> I'm giving it to the pilot because it is just 
so I can't get over. I can. I mean, everybody says whenever you see a list of the best pilots, the best comedy pilots, everybody always talks about the Cheers pilots. And maybe I'm overhyping this for any of our listeners who haven't seen any Cheers, or haven't seen the pilot at least. But from the like, the, there's nothing that is in the the later, you know, the best episodes necessarily of the show that isn't in that pilot. These characters, from the moment they walk on the screen, Norm, he walks in, everybody yells Norm. Like, the, the uh-huh. staples of what this show are, are there yeah. from the first moment uh, with Sam. And, uh, yeah. yeah. And then the other final... I will, uh, I will say real quick, um, yeah. there is some... Cliff does change a little bit in that in the early seasons, he's annoying and he talks a lot, but most of the things that he says are actually true. It's just that he's annoying and always talking about trivia. And uh-huh. as, the, as the series goes on, he becomes less and less uh, credible. <laughs> uh, it, that's not a complaint. I actually like that. Well, and that's that's a character that wasn't in the original script. Ratzenberger came in, I think, to read for Norm. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know exactly... I don't remember the specifics of it, but basically, I, th- I think, found out that they... Uh, that they were going to give it to Went or something like that. And he asked, well, do you have a character who... Who uh, has his keys on the outside? Oh, you gotta have a character who has his keys on the outside. You know people <laughs> yeah, like that. Do you have a character? Because, <laughs> you know, they're always, you know, because cause that, that, he saw that, I love that he saw that element of, of Cliff as so, you know, so indicative of the entire character. That, that he's the kind of guy that has a giant set of keys, probably he only needs like a third of them. <laughs> that he has on like a pull thing so everybody can see how important he is. Uh, no, it's great. Um, the other things I, I want to mention, uh, first of all, I, I love this op- the theme song. It's like one of the catchiest ever. And the, I love the opening credits. And I think they go a long way to avoiding the show being too dated. Because really, can you think about other shows in the 80s and what their credits were like? Yeah, that's yeah, true. Yeah, that's true. And, it, yeah, and most of the imagery of the of the opening themes is so old that it is timeless, timeless I guess. Timeless, yeah. Uh, yeah. The, the show's fashion, though, definitely does. does... Oh, especially in the later years. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, yeah, Sam's not looking good when he starts wearing powder blue blazers. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and zip up, sh- zip up coat things. It's yeah, but uh, I, I mean, I guess the the largest takeaway was this is one of those shows that lives up to the hype. It is worth checking out. Uh, you know, if you catch it on Netflix, where you know, like David said, it's all up uh, streaming, or whether you re- whether you catch it on Nick at Night, if they even show shows as old as Cheers on Nick at Night anymore. They constantly are making me feel ancient with their friends uh, reruns. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's definitely, it's it's as good as everybody says, and you guys should totally check it out. Um, so, so David, thank you so much for coming on. Where can our listeners find you online? Uh, BattleshipPretension.com for a, a weekly film discussion podcast and uh, tons of uh, film reviews. And then occasionally, <laughs> uh, pre- previously on show.com. My other podcast is previously on, which I am just sort of still trying to figure out how to do on my own. It, it was it's a show that's been going for over two and a half years, but um, has been in a bit of a state uh, of flux. Yeah, lately uh, my co-host left, so it's pretty much just me now, and I'm I'm trying to figure that out. Well, they're both shows well worth listening to. What listen to David uh, the, the transform previously on? Watch the the process; it'll be fun, I'm sure. <laughs> so, 
Thank you again, David, for coming on. And thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of The Televerse.